Welcome to the Half Yard Line. I'm Tim. I'm Luke. And this is another in our going around the league division by division. We're going to hit all eight divisions here in the next week or so as we talk about the beginnings of free agency, the first week of free agency, the legal tampering period uh, has eclipsed. We are now um, looking at real contracts, people moving around. Yeah, the old-fashioned tampering. The The old-fashioned tampering. You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, we have the legal tampering period, which is when teams start admitting that they've been talking to players. It, it's it's yeah. the strangest thing. We, we joked about it on one of the previews that you get to the legal tampering period and within 45 minutes, we've got 15 league contracts. You're like, man, the legal teams on these guys must work really fast. Yeah, incredible. So interesting. But we've, we've made it through several real days of free agency, which started on Wednesday. We've seen actual contracts being signed by actual players to go to actual teams. My, one of the funnest parts about this process for me, Luke, is watching slowly as contract details leak out. You'll always hear so and so has signed a contract with such and such team for either undisclosed or some massive amount of money, and you may or may not get a guarantee. And if you don't get a guarantee, that's because the player doesn't like it. Um, and anyway, so it's always an interesting thing to me to watch. How do these things really impact the cap? What's really happening? I don't know, um, Luke, if you share that fascination with kind of watching the reading the tea leaves and then watching the contract dribble out a little bit and figure out which side of this negotiation really feels like they want it. Yeah, it's always um, quite interesting to see because, again, to your point, you, you see both the player side and the team side. It's like, oh, the team the team will always come out and say, oh, it's great to have such and such player back or we're so excited to welcome XYZ dude to the, the building, to the franchise. And then you see the contract. It's like, yeah, you weren't that excited, let's be honest. Like, you were <laughs> happy. Um but yeah, as we make maybe this, they were that excited to get him on the on a deal. Yeah, and and today, we're, appropriately enough, given that topic, we're going to be talking about the AFC North, the American Football Conference North, home of Tim's beloved Steelers. As we continue the whip round across Indeed. all eight divisions, and we encourage you before we dive into all this to follow us on the socials at Half Yard Line Pod. You can email us halfyardlinepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this and you have not yet left us a rating and a review on your podcast app of choice, please pause the pod, go do that, come back, subscribe to the pod and uh, spread the word amongst uh, friends and family. And as always, if you have any particularly intelligent pets or AI devices, then happy to welcome those as potential listeners as well. Tim, the North, the North Conference of the AFC, I found many ways to say that in the last 45 seconds, but regardless, includes your Steelers. Yeah. But... uh, (laughs) These teams. Yeah, we'll start there. The, the Steelers, it's interesting. Not historically a very active free agent team, uh, free agency team. They tend to like to bring their own guys back. They tend to like to add little pieces around the edges. Yeah, let They're guys go really who other big. teams overpay is always the other one that you guys like doing, especially That's receivers. That's right. So the Steelers always are losing somebody in free agency. And so free agency is always a traumatic period for me as a fan because I listen to the media tell me how, oh, the Steelers lost this guy and 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 they're never going to live and it's all going to be bad and blah, 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 blah. And you're, as a fan, that can be traumatizing. But what I've learned over the years is teams that win in the offseason don't often win as much in season. No. So we as Steelers fans, we try to we pretend free agency doesn't exist until this year. And I'm not really sure what to do with the Steelers. So new GM, Omar, Omar Khan, was with the team forever, always kind of the cap guru genius. The question becomes when you move from that cap guru contract genius slot into the I have to identify players now, not just negotiate with them, can he do that as well? He clearly has a different view than Kevin Colbert did on what the free agency period's purpose is. 
continue to lose guys. Cameron, every team does. Cameron Sutton was the big name, probably the best cornerback on the market, in my opinion. Uh, went to Detroit on a three-year, thirty-three million dollar deal. The Steelers were never going to pay him that. You know, we always happily pat a guy on the back on the way out the door and say congratulations for getting yours. Couldn't do it. Robert Spillane is the other one. He went to Vegas. They did cut several guys. Um, Miles Jack is one that got cut to make room for a fairly large number of signings as far as the Pittsburgh Steelers are concerned. Um, we got to retain Larry Ogunjobi and Demonte Casey. Those are very Steelers-like moves. But bringing in Patrick Peterson, bringing in uh, Alondon Roberts, uh, Isaac, Isaac Sayamalu. Yeah, you've managed uh, to miss some serious... That's the easy one of his names to pronounce, Isaac, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I missed the hard one. I, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but, you know, it, it's just been, they've been very active, I guess is the point. And t- particularly in the linebacker spot, we brought in Cole Holcomb from Washington, brought in Alandon Roberts from Miami, uh, did le- lose Devin Bush and Robert Spillane. And so you're obviously trying to patch those holes. It's not a position we were particularly strong at last year anyway. Um, but I think that's the headline for me on the Pittsburgh side of things is, whoa, that's a lot of signings and especially early in free agency when the Steelers do pick up free agents it's traditionally been week three week four after they've been disappointed by what other teams wouldn't offer them um so I was very surprised to see the Steelers this active Luke I don't know if you saw it the same one yeah obviously I don't have your deep insight into the uh, the Steelers way so to speak but to me as an outsider looking at this I, I just thought this all seems very Pittsburghy. you know the guys you brought in there's not a lot of splash you know, I, Patrick Peterson is the biggest name probably for most people. You know, this is a guy it's who's pretty been splashy for Pittsburgh for yeah, agents, my friend. He's been a he's you know he's been an all pro. He's a possible Hall of Fame type player. You know, he's on the the back nine of his career at this stage. Cam Sutton, you mentioned, left. Peterson comes in, but you know, solid pro. He's he's been in the league forever. He knows what to do. I think that's just a solid veteran addition, and you're hoping for that kind of Joe Hayden, I guess. Redux That's when right. Joe Hayden came in and was very productive, even though people thought oh, maybe he's kind of on the on the on the downslope, but he actually played very well. The signings just are front seven and solidification, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, Sayamalu, very good player, one of the best guards in football. I was surprised he was still in the market after such a long time, but fortify the line in front of Kenny Pickett. You mentioned Ogan Joby, really good player. Unfortunately, it won't be completing his play for every team in the AFC North tour this offseason. So we'll have to wait to see if he signs for the Ravens in the future. But he's a very good player. Again, solid. He's not going to, he's not breaking the bank. You know, three years, 28 million bucks, 17 guaranteed, but very productive, very solid, stout. Holcomb and Alanda Roberts are, are, are both very good tackle machine type dudes at the linebacker spot where the Steelers have struggled. Bush never really panned out after the injury. Miles Jack, I thought, would be a great signing. That didn't really work. Joe Schobert's come in. There's been guys trying to fill that role, I feel like, for a few years. So I think this is a, a quietly impressive and solid class. And to your point around off-season champions are not Super Bowl champions, this seems like building a good, solid group of players rather than going out and saying, hey, let's sign the most expensive X. I mean, the, the biggest name in terms of production is a guard. So that felt very yeah. Steelers-y to me. So I'm impressed with this uh, this crop of players that have come in because I don't feel like any of them are going to flame out and be a complete disaster. I think this will be, at worst, very productive signings for Pittsburgh. And then you'll add around the edges. And whether yeah, you've we'll got skill position that. players and not other, which is usually the other way around, right? I mean, I would think the Steelers were right. more solid interior, but you've got Pickens, line, you've got yeah. Deontay Johnson, you've got Najee Harris, you've got Fryermuth. There's a lot of splash kind of on the offense already. So just making it a little bit more meat and potatoes Probably not the worst thing in the world. No, it, it's cyclical. Uh, I mean, I remember back when Ben Roethlisberger was a rookie 
uh, or early in his career when the offensive line was the problem. Like, oh, the line's terrible, the line's terrible, the line's terrible. Line. Spent 10 years building an offensive line. Um, you know, we had Pouncey at center, he had DeCastro, I mean, uh, Villanueva, really strong offensive line. And that made the team great for a while when we identified a bunch of easy skill position guys in the second, third, fourth round of the draft and, and kind of made a run for it, won a couple of Super Bowls. Um, if you look at this team, we're sort of back at square one in that process where the, the lines have to get better. The defensive line is better than the offensive line, but it's very old. You know, so it'd be very interesting. I've really liked the free agency period the last couple of years for the Steelers, and it's not ended well for them. So we'll see. Uh, a lot of those guys, you know, staying for one year and then getting the getting the axe or um, not performing up to snuff. Uh, we traded several of the mid year, getting rid of them. I mean, it was just it's it's not been a good free agency time for the last couple of years for the Steelers. I think trying to pick around the edges, uh, extend Ben Roethlisberger's career ultimately didn't pan out the way they'd hoped. Be interesting to see how they go into it this year. Um, looking at teams that have made somewhat more substantive moves in the AFC North. Uh, the Cleveland Browns brought in Dalvin Tomlinson, so that's sort of a big name. Uh, out of Miami, or out of Miami, Minnesota, the other MI. Um, out of Minnesota, four-year, $57 million contract. Huge money for a D-tackle. For a huge um, man. I don't know. For a yeah, huge money for a huge man. That's right. Oh, you know, they have also brought in Juan Thornhill from Kansas City. Ogboni Akaronko from Houston. So some big names coming in, some smaller names going out. Jacoby Brissett. Um, Taven Bryan is another name uh, that headed out. So really, you know, kind of some smaller name free agents leaving, some bigger name free agents coming back in. The one I didn't even mention, Jordan Aikens, also from Houston. So they're bringing in players from Houston. They're bringing in um, some big names from, from division champions, Minnesota and Kansas City. Luke, I don't know about your take on the Cleveland's free agent period, but I was, uh, I'm going to say, pleasantly surprised to see them particularly active this year. Yeah, a strangely um, solid group. I think with Cleveland that we've seen in the recent past, it tends to be taking a lot of big swings and missing, and that's led them to purgatory. I mean, you can argue that that, is potentially already happening because of the Deshaun Watson situation, but you know that's done and dusted now. And obviously, the entire future of this team rests on how well he plays. Um, they've restructured his contract to create a little bit more cap room to you know only give him an egregious, as opposed to incredibly egregious, cap number across the rest of that deal. But uh, as far as this group goes, almost uh, similar to the Steelers, really, just a lot of solid, productive guys i think you know this will be a theme this is how the these. afc north does free agency yeah. Luke, okay this, this is this, how we do it this is a, a very yeah hard hat and lunch pail to use a tried and tested cliche uh group of guys you mentioned tomlinson you mentioned okoronko i think that's a good signing again a sensible guy to bring in rather than go hey we're gonna go out and spend loads of money on jadavian Clowney, which they've already done and that didn't work they need someone to provide that edge pressure opposite garrett who's obviously all world uh off the edge the other guy that I like that they brought in, he didn't mention, is re- a re-signing, which is Ethan Posick or Posick. I don't know how to say his name, but uh, he was the center last year. They brought him back. You know, if you're going to be relying on Deshaun Watson, obviously you need to protect him. I think that was a sensible thing. And yeah, Juan Thornhill, very good player, solid, productive, gives you some flexibility in the in the safety position. He can slide down, play that kind of nickel linebacker role a little bit as well, which is good. He's been great for Kansas City. You bring in a guy who knows knows how to win, as they like to say. I think that makes sense. You know, they lost John, they cut John Johnson, they lost Ronnie Harrison as well, and they lost a ton of linebackers, Dion Jones, Anthony Walker Jr., both out the door. So you think maybe he gives you some flexibility there. Yeah, pretty sensible group. Um 
the Browns' future obviously hanging on the right arm of number four, but I think as far as this goes, it's pretty logical. Yeah, Luke, you mentioned, uh, I mean, a couple of, of guys still out there for Cleveland. Uh, you know, you talked about Deion Jones and Anthony Walker Jr. being kind of on the way out. I think they're probably a little disappointed with the reaction to their early free agency period here. Um, Kareem Hunt's another name that is still out there for them. Are they going to be able to do anything with, with Kareem Hunt? I think the longer that goes, the more likely it is he comes back. Um, he's mm. been in that room for a while, had some success in that room. I think he'd love to be the feature guy somewhere. The running back market is just so saturated this year. A lot more teams need one than, or excuse me, want one. Oops. A lot more teams have one than need one. And so it'll be interesting to see um, how kind of the splashy names of the running back market play out over the next couple of weeks. Um, the other two teams in the AFC North not doing tons. Uh, Cincinnati did make a splash, sucking in Orlando Brown Jr. from the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they did, have had some serious losses uh, in, this, in the defensive backfield, lost both of their safeties. Um, Von Bell and Jesse Bates Jr. to Atlanta or Carolina, Atlanta, respectively. Hayden Hurst on the way out the door. So the defending division champion Cincinnati Bengals losing some talent in free agency. That's what you see. You you mortgage the future. You go get your guys. You try to sign them to deals, and eventually you can't keep it all together. Um, you know, Samjay Pirine also on that list. Samjay Pirine. I'll say names eventually one of these days. Um, <laughs> headed, headed on the way out the door. Uh, Trayvon Williams was a resign, and they did resign Michael Thomas. Not. That Michael Thomas, the other Michael Thomas that plays free safety and doesn't make any money. So an interesting period for Cincinnati was always <laughs> I don't think the other Michael Thomas sub- makes as much money as he used to anymore either. But anyway, <sighs> no, that's right. Uh, an interesting period for uh, Cincinnati, obviously, you know, back to back division championships, back to back deep playoff runs. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you were always going to take away more from this team than you were going to add to it just because it had so much talent to begin with. Um, Luke, any of those names particular stick out to you? I mean, Orlando Brown Jr. is the big one. Yeah, for sure. I, I think what's interesting with Cincinnati is we look to kind of profile them as they go forward in this uh, Joe Burrow era. It will be interesting to see how much they mirror the Kansas City model. The Kansas City model obviously started with you've got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and all else can be fixed on the fly. Now, what they realized is that you need to protect Patrick Mahomes and that actually is priority number one and the other guys can be elevated by the quality of his play so the big headline last year bringing in Orlando Brown Jr. um, and paying him on the franchise tag as opposed to paying Tyreek Hill so Cincinnati obviously has Chase on the rookie contract and Higgins on the rookie contract right now Burrow's still on the cheap deal too so they're kind of almost taking a similar approach which is we might lose some guys at yeah safety obviously is the the headliner they've also lost Pirine like you mentioned Hayden Hurst so guys more who are productive and contributors to this team but they're not the premier positions and they've said we will sign Orlando Brown to a huge contract and we will rely on um Burrow and the offense to fire us to success as opposed to trying to keep everyone together across the board so I think it's an interesting approach you'll be interested to see what happens obviously when Burrow gets his contract and that starts to eat into their cap how do they then manage it because it's almost they're two three years behind where Kansas City is right now with Mahomes so I think they'll probably follow a pretty similar model but Orlando Brown but for sure by far the best tackle on the market Burrow has been sacked a lot They've not really found a recipe there on the offensive line to protect him consistently. That should solidify the left tackle position um, going forward. So it's a great signing for them. The the departures, Bates is a fantastic player, but you can't be paying a safety that much money when you're trying to pay a left tackle that much money. So that's just a straight up equation. Von Bell, I think another very good player. So 
we'll have some holes to fill potentially in the draft um, or maybe cheaper veteran free agents in the safety positions to, to I guess, backfill in uh, those two spots. But from a positional value standpoint, if you're going to put your money somewhere, would you rather put it in a left tackle or two safeties? It, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Especially when you've got Joe Burrow. No, I think that's right. And and you, you mentioned Orlando Brown Jr. and Jesse Bates and the symmetry in their contracts, right? Both signed ultimately with different teams, but for four years, $64 million, um, similar levels of guarantee. And if you're sitting here as the Cincinnati Bengals going, okay, if I can be better on the offensive line, if I can protect Joe, Joe Burrow better, if I can break my running backs for more um, opportunities, you're going to do that. And if this what it costs you is a safety, you know that's not the end of the world. And I think that's certainly the choice that they made here. It has cost them two safeties, which I think they prefer have been a different yeah. story. Obviously, not that single decision. Uh, it's it replacing one guy on the backside is one thing. Replacing two guys on the backside is a completely different thing. You know, having both of your starting safeties not on the team is going to change the complexity of your defensive backfield. Um, it'll be very interesting to me to see what they do uh, about that, how how they respond to that, how the pass defense holds up. Um, safety is a very important position. I think it's underrated um, in this level of importance just because there's lots of guys out there can do it. A lot of times cornerbacks kind of retire to the the, the farm of being a safety. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting to see Set up uh, how they, they plug, plug some of those holes. Uh, some of the names the Bengals still have out there are – uh, Eli Apple, obviously, you know, we've been talking about the defensive backfield. Trey Flowers is still a free agent, as, bar, as best I can tell. Um, you know, so the entirety of the defensive secondary uh, for Cincinnati, seemingly either already out the door or in flux, they've got to prioritize that at some level. I mean, they brought in Nick Scott um, from the Rams. He's not a premium player. You know, they re-signed Michael Thomas. He's clearly not a premium player. Like they don't have a ton of depth at that spot to begin with and a lot of that talent walking out the door and at least so far they haven't been able to bring it back in i think the Bengals be pleased that eli apple and trey flowers have not found homes yet um i don't know if you have any thoughts about you know how they're managing that period is this going to be a, a big step backwards for their defense or is this something they can manage in the draft and another otherwise yeah, it's it's I, like you say, tough to say because you've also you lose continuity. Luana Rumo, one of the best defensive coordinators in football. These guys are familiar with the system. They know their roles. They're very comfortable. They've been very productive. It's it's hard to do just like for like swap. I think that's sometimes where we get caught out as you know fans and say, oh well, you lost a corner, you get another corner. It's all the same. It's like well, no, you need a corner who fits a certain profile. You need a safety who fits a certain profile. And guys like a Jesse Bates are not easy to find. You know, he's almost in that Minka Fitzpatrick type mold where he's a do-it-all safety. He finds the ball. He gets you turnovers. That's that's not something that you can just find in the you know third round of the draft as easy as pie. Um, speaking of positions that are not easy, not easy to find, how about the Baltimore Ravens, Tim, and their quarterback, Lamar Jackson? As we record this, he is still on the non-exclusive franchise tag, and the Ravens are basically daring the NFL to trade them two first-round picks or make them an offer that they can then uh, work with to acquire him or just bring him back. There's really nothing remarkable about the Ravens' free agency period outside of this. They lost Ben Powers to the Broncos, who's a very good player at guard. They traded Chuck Clark yep. to the Jets. They've lo- they let go of Calais Campbell, Jason Pierre-Paul, Justin Houston. So some of these old geezers on the offensive line. But they re-signed Justice Hill. But they re-signed Justice Hill. Kenyon Drake's a free agent. It's a bunch of guys. Um, I-, I don't have really much interesting to say or think about the Ravens because Lamar is it. That's the story. How you build the team is That's affected by him. It's obviously been hot topic number one in the NFL, apart from maybe Aaron Rodgers. I'll give you my quick two cents on it. You can give me your two cents. 
Um, the, the Ravens want to bring him back. They just don't want to. They want to do it on their terms. I think every NFL team has the same exact approach with every player on their team. We like you. If we think you're a good player, we want you to come back. We don't want to give you more than what we want. What the Ravens have basically done is play a game of chicken and said, fine, you want to go and think, you want to try and get whatever contract you think you are worth. Go for it. That's your prerogative. But we don't think anyone's going to do that. So we'll put you on the non-exclusive franchise tag. So if it does happen, you know, the commanders or someone comes out and says, here's all the money in the world on a guaranteed deal. Then we get two first round picks out of the out of it. And if you're as good as you know you're saying you are, we will will win either way, basically, is probably what they're thinking in my mind. And to me, they've played this, it's 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 a cold, it's very calculated, but that's the NFL for you. It's it's run as a business. It's a cold calculated move, but it's worked out well for the Ravens. See, I- and I think the one note I just want to add before I kick it to you is this is where Lamar not having an agent is painful for him. It's very difficult to manage the message, to win the PR war, to do all those things without an agent. We were joking before we came on uh, to record that. No, there haven't been a lot of rumors about Lamar Jackson. And the reason is because that's what agents do and he doesn't have one. So I don't think he's necessarily in the best position because that just makes things a little bit more complicated um, in this entire morass that he finds himself in. But I think to my mind, the Ravens are happy to have him back, but they are also playing that uh, that sort of game of See, I, uh, chicken a, a little bit with Lamar. I have a slightly different view on this. And I, certainly agents are there to provide rumors. So are teams. Um, and what you're not hearing is, oh, the market for Lamar is softer than he expected, which is exactly a type of rumor a team would put out. Fact. You're not hearing, you know, uh, no one contacting the Ravens about potential Lamar Jackson trade. You're not hearing any of that stuff, which is interesting to me. I almost wonder if it's just early enough in the period people aren't sure what to do. I mean, as soon as it was announced, uh, seven or eight teams came out and said, not us, which is interesting. There's the whole backdrop of the NFLPA suing the NFL for collusion around non-guaranteed contracts or not, 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 not willing to give out guaranteed contracts. There's been, you know, media who, of course, represent different factions, right? There are media representatives who are pro-league. There are media representatives that are pro-PA saying, oh, look, the NFL is clearly colluding against Lamar Jackson. This is the same thing that we saw with Colin Kaepernick. No one will bring him because it's you know not good for the league. You don't want this, this to work out for him. Um, I don't necessarily buy any of that. I will admit to being generally pro-league in most of these discussions. Um, but what's interesting to me about the Lamar Jackson situation is I almost feel like it's I listen to a radio program in the morning uh, when I'm commuting and they always have these stupid little segments on couples court. Like it's, you know, you're listening to music most of the time, but then there's this five minute segment where they bring a couple on and they explain some dispute they have. And then the listeners of the radio show all vote on, they think, you know, who's more at fault, right? <laughs> Not at sure to end, end of those well. things. Yeah. At the end of those things, one side is clearly at fault. The other side is clearly not at fault. And everybody goes, see, you're the, you're the asshole or whatever. Right? Am I the asshole? That's a Reddit thing. Um, yes. No one goes into those and comes out the other side and goes, oh, you're right. I now see the error of my ways. It's like, no, no. Now you've been very publicly humiliated and you've been. De- <laughs> if, right. If Lamar Jackson goes out and tests free agency and, and collusion aside, no one's willing to give him what he wants. He's going to walk back into the Ravens and go, oh, my God, you're right. I'm only worth $27 million a year. Thank you so much for the opportunity. No. Now mm. he's going to not have his money. He's going to be publicly embarrassed. And he's not going to be happy. So it, it, 
I get it. I liked the move. I recommended the move at the time. The more I think through the interpersonal dynamics of all of it, I don't see how it ends with, unless Lamar Jackson is infinitely more emotionally stable than I think he is, right? His emotional IQ is off the charts. To be able to walk into the most public of spheres and say, I'm worth more than this, right? And then have nobody else go yes has got to have an ego hit on a guy in a position in, in a job that is so ego driven, right? You got to believe you're the best guy out there. You got to believe you're worth it. That you have two responses to that one is to go, maybe I'm not good enough. And the second is to go, everyone hates me. This isn't fair. I'm being taken advantage of. And there's truth to all those sides. I don't understand how this ends well. And unless some team comes in and pays $50 million and trades two first round picks and Lamar gets what he wants and that, and he goes and plays MVP level football, wins three Super Bowls. Like, if he comes back to play for the Ravens after them basically slapping him with the I told you so card, mm. um, how's that relationship going to. And, and you talk about not having an agent. That's why you have agents because these conversations are awkward. You need an intermediary there to go. Listen, they love you, dude. They do. There's just the business of football. Well, even just to say, because I think the other thing, just to jump in quickly, is you know what players think they are worth is very often not what the NFL thinks they are worth. That's just the nature of it. The pay the man narrative comes out with every football player since ever, right? This guy's worth whatever contract you want to give him. This guy's amazing. Players are always going to, rightly so, campaign for the most amount of money that they can get. What agents also provide, and listen, we're not pro-agent. We're not pro-anything. We're just, this is a fact. Their job is to get you the best deal based on the market and based on understanding of how teams work. If Lamar Jackson was represented by, I'll pick Drew Rosenhaus as the most high profile kind of deal maker that the NFL has. If he was represented by Drew Rosenhaus, would we be in this situation? I don't think we would. And even if we were, I feel like Lamar would be in a much better position. So it's just an interesting wrinkle. Listen, we don't know the interpersonal dynamics. Neither of us have ever met Lamar Jackson or anyone in the Ravens front office, but I agree with your point. Hard to see how this ends well um, for either side because it's just turned into a bit of a bitter public fight. On that positive note, we will wrap things up for the AFC North today as we continue our tour around the NFL. Check out the rest of these uh, podcasts, one per division going around the AFC and NFC, talking about free agency. Check out all of our team-by-team podcasts if you didn't uh, check those out for the off-season previews. Also, follow us on the socials at halfyardlinepod. You can email us halfyardlinepod at gmail.com. Give us a like, a rating, and a review, and a subscription on your podcast app of choice. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye for now. Ciao.